0: Welcome to this special edition of Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. My name is Scott Miller, and I'm privileged to serve as the host of what is now Franklin Covey's largest podcast each week. And as I was talking with our board of directors, our chairman, our president, and the executive team in the last few weeks, we've thought a lot about what can we do to help our employees worldwide, our valued customers, and for that matter, anybody who's looking to Franklin Covey for some wisdom, some guidance some calm in this world of giant whirlwind, we thought what we could do is interview four of our key thought leaders on where they thought these principles that leaders can bring to bear in this time of, you know, literally changing by the hour uncertainty. So I'm delighted to invite today for the next 40 minutes or so, four of our key thought leaders. First, we'll talk with Stephen M. R. Covey, who is the author of the seminal book, The Speed of Trust. This book has sold over two million copies, and by most standards, Stephen Amar Covey serves as, if not the, one of the most credible experts on organizational trust. And individuals who want to become more trustworthy, what do they do as well? We'll follow the discussion with Stephen Amar by a conversation with Chris McChesney, the expert on the four disciplines of execution. We'll then talk with Corey Cogan, the lead author of The Five Choices to Extraordinary Productivity, followed by a live in-person interview in the studio with our two-time Wall Street Journal best-selling author, Todd Davis, who also serves as a member of our executive team and Franklin Covey's chief people officer on what we're doing to help all of our employees worldwide thrive in this very uncertain time. So first, let's welcome Stephen M. R. Covey to the conversation. Hey, Stephen,
1: Scott, nice to see you.
0: Nice to, see, to see you, sir. You. Thank you for taking time out and a very busy day today for you. I know you were in the midst of multiple conversations, webcasts, board meetings, and interviews. I want to thank you for your time. Stephen, uh, I'm going to guess most of our listeners and viewers know who you are. They probably read your book. Talk a little bit about, from your vast experience in the last 30 years in our firm, speaking around the world, What are the biggest issues leaders are facing right now in this turbulent time? And what are some of the key pieces of advice you might give them to be mindful of?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And and I liked your preamble that everything is changing around us and it's real time. It's happening by the hour. So it's all, you know, we need to focus during a time like that on principles because specific rules may be obsolete the next hour. So um, here's my experience as I've worked with uh, leaders and organizations, but also as I've looked at situations where there is huge disruption and huge change and and even crisis like we're going through right now. And and, uh, there's many important principles and and, uh, things like the need for clear communication and ongoing communication, the need for clarity and clearly these are important principles, but when all is said and done, during a time of disruption and a time of crisis, the most important thing for a leader and for an organization is credibility and trust. Credibility in the sense that you are credible as a leader, your firm is credible as a firm, your character, your competence, and trust in that that is your currency. People trust what you say. Think about it, if you can, you might focus on communication, which is critical during a time of disruption and crisis. But if you're not credible, when you communicate, people don't believe what you're saying. If they're questioning your credibility. If you're not trusted, they may not care, you know, take stock in in your advice because they don't trust it. So the the greatest currency during a time of crisis and disruption like we're facing today is the credibility and the trust of your leaders and of your company. That's the most important thing to focus on during a time like this. Stephen, we hear this phrase of how you can't over-communicate, but the fact of the matter
0: is you can probably over-communicate if you're not speaking with credibility and a clear voice, what advice would you give to leaders on how to make sure that they're communicating properly and speaking with credibility and trust?
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the, the idea that you can't over-communicate, there's merit to that, but you are exactly right. If you're not trusted, because you're not credible, yeah. then mm-hmm. the communication could actually backfire. It could, you could be digging a hole that gets deeper because they don't trust what you're saying. So starting with yourself and starting with your leaders and and, and and focusing on your credibility first. Even credibility and trust are two sides of the same coin, but it starts with credibility. And, and that's, a, that's a function of both your character and your competence. And if I go deeper in Speed of Trust, as you know, I talk about the four cores of credibility. So from your character, first is your integrity, your honesty, your truthfulness. That's vital during a time of of crisis second is your intent and that is your motive and your agenda and the key principle here is caring do you care about the people that you're serving that you're leading Do they know that you care about them if they know and believe that you care they'll tend to trust you if they don't they won't trust you as much you'll be less credible to them so caring is so vital so integrity and intent flow from your character that's vital to be credible in a time of change but your competence side is vital too, and that's your capabilities and your results. So your capabilities, are you current, are you relevant? And and in a time like today, we need to borrow strength from experts in public health and medical situations that know this new dynamic, this new world, because most leaders don't. And we can't act like we know something that we don't know. We can't be an expert in an area we're not an expert in. We need to bring strength into that so that we're capable and that we're relevant and then our results is our performance, our track record. Does that give people confidence that we deliver, that we do what we say we're going to do? So we got to start with ourselves, look in the mirror, be credible as a leader, and, 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 and we need to model it. And for example, um, I need to be open to receiving bad information as a leader and model that. Because if I don't receive bad information well the first time, I probably won't get it the second time. If I don't model it to others, then others won't do it with other people as well. So I've got to lead from the inside out, model credibility through my character, through my confidence. That's the first starting point is personal as well as organizational credibility.
0: Stephen, it's a, a, a profound piece of wisdom around making sure that you set the conditions as a leader to receive bad feedback, because once you make it safe for others to do that, then you'll be able to operate on real-time information It will only help your own clarity and your own credibility. Beyond the four cores of credibility in the book and in your keynote speeches and in your work sessions, most of us know you illustrate these 13 behaviors that are common to high-trust leaders. Anybody who's been to one of your keynote speeches or the work sessions knows we get these cards that are super actionable. On the front is the actual high-trust behavior, the opposite, and the counterfeit. We don't have time today to review all 13 of these high trust behaviors, are there two or three you might highlight for the audience today to reground everybody who's in a leadership role? Whether it's in the office or with your family or in a club or a community or some type of role you play, maybe pick two or three and reground us in
1: these. Great, Um, so during a time of crisis and disruption like we're facing today, all the 13 behaviors are critical, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to to just run through my cards myself. I pick three. Here's the three I pick. I pick confront reality. That's behavior number eight. Create transparency, behavior number three, and talk straight, behavior number one. And let me describe three, uh, all three. And let me just say this kind of overall. The tendency during times of, of disruption and crisis is that we move back towards counterfeit behavior, which is, you know, an alternative version of it that's not accurate. So instead of talking straight, it's the spin and the sugar coating. Instead of taking responsibility, practicing accountability, it's the blaming, the finger pointing. The, the reason I highlighted these three, confront reality, create transparency, talk straight, is that they are exceptionally vital to build trust during change and transition. Take confront reality. That means we take things head on, even the tough things. We get the bad news, we can't hide it. If we try to hide the bad news during times like now, we will lose the credibility and the trust with our audiences, with our constituents, with our people. They won't trust us. They're hearing about it. We gotta be upfront, straightforward, take things head on, confront the reality, including the bad news so that we get more bad news in 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 the future because we can't solve a problem that we don't don't understand. Right. And and right now it's a difficult problem, so we need the bad news. we got to confront the reality so we can solve it. Another one, create transparency. We're open. There's light, like, um, you know, the, the, the expression, light is the greatest disinfectant. And I love what Amy Edmondson, the Harvard Business School professor, said is that transparency is job one during a crisis. We gotta be open and transparent and authentic and real. We can't be hiding things and covering them up because then people won't trust us. They'll wonder what else are we hiding? And the best way to do this is to be upfront about it. When we know things, we tell them what we know. When we don't know things, we tell them what we don't know and what we're doing to try to learn about those things and how we're trying to respond to it. We model the transparency. It is so vital to building the trust. And then finally, talk straight. We've got to tell the truth. We've got to call things what they are. And, and um, I especially want to contrast that to say the, the counterfeit here, which is where you might you know, spin or you might sugarcoat. And you might feel like maybe you're gonna be less alarming and frightening to people if you sugarcoat it. But I'll tell you what, if you, get, if you start to do that, then people, every time you speak, every time you communicate, they'll be wondering, are they sugarcoating again? is this real what is can i trust this so get a reputation especially now that you're going to confront reality you're going to take things head on even the bad news and especially the bad news you're going to be open and transparent and authentic and real with it so that you keep getting it and you're going to speak truthfully about it and talk straight and and um that way people will they might they might come to this conclusion they might not like always, excuse me, they might not always like what they hear from you, but they've learned that they can trust what they hear from you. And that's what we need now. That is our currency. And with that, our ability to communicate will go up. Our ability to connect with our people, to bring and instill confidence in them will go up. And so, you know, this is not easy. And you can't go to either extreme. You can have the counterfeit in either extreme you know, you're not trying to become alarmist and, and, you know, confront reality and paint just the absolute worst case scenario and just panic people because there's an emotional contagion that can be also extraordinarily distressing and can perpetuate itself. And you don't want to, you know, go to that extreme, but you also don't want to go to the extreme of just saying everything's fine, there's no problems, nothing's going to change when everyone knows, look, everything is changing right now. We've got to find that sweet spot on all of these behaviors, but you get that reputation. You be you communicate in these ways. You will build trust. So I would highlight those three: um, confront reality, create transparency, talk straight, do the actual behavior. Beware, avoid the counterfeits, which so often trip us, trip us up during a time of change. And and that's how we've got to lead out with this. And you got to model it as a leader, and then you make it safe for others to do. And then we can communicate and talk and create and innovate and collaborate to come up with solutions to the challenges they're facing us. We can be agile and adaptive and responsive and creative, but we can't do that if we don't trust each other. And we've got to, you know, behave in ways that build and earn and keep that trust, especially during times like today.
0: Stephen, superb advice. I'm going to guess a lot of people are thinking, well, they wish that their CEO or the foundation president or their elected officials would be doing all of that, and we hope that they do, but your point is it starts with you. You want to model what you want to have, be, you know, have to see in other people and have the same behaviors in your own team. Stephen, thank you Absolutely. for your time today. Very generous. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you back in the future. Thank you, sir.
1: Great. Let me give you one more, Scott that is so vital today, and that would be this, to extend trust. You gotta tell your people and and actually demonstrate this, that you trust them. Remote work is about trusting your people. You wanna do it with clear expectations and accountability, but there's many organizations that don't allow remote working. Well, that's about to change. And it really is about trust. And you're gonna show and demonstrate that you trust your people. The strength of that is they tend to trust you back. When you trust them, they tend to trust you. You don't trust them, they tend to not trust you. So, extend trust to your people. Remote work is a good example. If someone's sick and they say they're sick, believe them, trust them, don't require anything more. And it's so vital right now. And when you demonstrate that trust in your people, when you extend it to them, they will give it back to you. And that will build this trust. Distrust is contagious but so is trust. And we need more trust right now to be able to navigate this environment. So that is vital for leaders is to model this, start with yourself, your credibility, lead out with those key three behaviors of confronting reality, clarifying, excuse me, um, confronting reality and creating transparency and talking straight. And then, and I'm going to say, especially trust your people, trust your teams and it will come back to you. And we need that during a time like today.
0: Stephen, great send-off. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Now for our conversation with Chris McChesney. Many of you may know that Chris McChesney serves as the lead author of Franklin Covey's number one Wall Street Journal best-selling book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Chris, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Scott. Hey, so Chris, I want to kind of narrow down on two points. One, I want to talk about uh, focus and then morale and engagement. You've spent the better part of the last 20 years of your nearly 30 year career here with Franklin Covey, teaching, listening, learning, refining the power of focus with uh, senior leaders in the midst of what right now is you know massively uncertain times, a-, a phrase that you and your co-authors coined, the whirlwind. What advice would you give everybody listening, both in their professional and personal lives, at bringing some of these principles to bear around focusing in on not top priorities?
2: Yeah, I think when it comes to focus, we need to understand that under normal circumstances, everything inside the organization wants to dilute focus. And, it, and, it's, it, and everyone knows that it's incredibly important to get focus. However, once you're in a situation like we are now, when ambiguity goes up, a person's ability to maintain focus becomes that much more difficult. So I think I think right off the bat understanding focus is more important than ever and it just got a whole lot harder.
0: Chris, we know this adage of, you know, 10,000 hours on a topic makes someone an expert. Well, you've got about 10 million hours on this concept of connecting engagement and morale to focus and discipline. What advice would you give our viewers and listeners on how to keep morale high in this very uncertain time full of ambiguity?
2: Yeah, here's a a catchphrase I want you to think about. Whirlwind plus one, okay? Whirlwind means everything I have to do every day just to maintain the operation. Plus one is that area of focus that I have to put deliberate non-urgent energy against. And if you can just keep that in mind, in, in, in 3,000 attempts, you know, with working with organizations at the four disciplines and maintaining focus, what we've learned is it's not whirlwind plus one for the whole organization, but for each working unit, if they've got their day job plus one area of focus, and let, let me give you a little background on this. One of the things that we started to understand was that people have a, a, a minimal ability to handle ambiguity, and that when ambiguity increases in one part of their lives, they they, they have less tolerance for ambiguity in another. And th- this has been this has been proven. There's actually a wonderful book on this topic uh, called "Nonsense." The the power of not knowing, and it's how human beings handle ambiguity, how they handle not knowing. And I think it's really important that that, that leaders are very clear on what's happening to all of their employees. I'll just give you a quick anecdote. I I find this fascinating. But in the early 1900s, when San Francisco was hit by, by that terrible earthquake, two things happened that puzzled sociologists for years. The first thing that happened was divorce rates took off. The second thing happened was that marriage rates took off. And for decades, sociologists argued about whether a natural disaster and trauma caused people to go apart from each other in divorce or together in marriage. And then they figured out what was really happening. What was really happening was the earthquake and all of the trauma that went with it burned out people's ability to handle ambiguity. They couldn't take any more ambiguity in their life. So if they were thinking about getting a divorce, they couldn't leave the question hanging. They got a divorce. If they were thinking about marriage, they got married. And that's why they both shot up. When people take on a new goal, it presents ambiguity. The day job, the whirlwind, that I can manage, that, right, it's coming at me fast, I'm responding to it, but at least I know it. It's what I know. New goals represent uncertainty. We don't know how we're going to do them. And and this is why putting too many goals on a team causes it to sort of paralyze or to retreat back to the day job, to the whirlwind. And I think what leaders have to understand is when there's been a massive amount of ambiguity injected into their lives on every front, right? This is uncharted territory for us right now. That it's even harder to focus and maintain, you know, a goal attention when that thing represents ambiguity. So more than ever, the ability to keep clear those things we have to maintain from the one thing per team that that team can focus on, I think, is a very healthy mindset to have in these times. Hey, Chris,
0: from all your experience, uh, are there, is there any practical advice you might give a leader? on how to help clarify ambiguity? Because we're all going through it, right? We're asking ourselves, is our kid's school gonna close, right? Am I gonna meet payroll? Uh, Am I gonna be asked to take a reduction in my my income? How do we make sure that our stock stops cratering? Should I buy food for a month or for a week? What advice would you give leaders on how to distract adding to ambiguity when in (laughs) fact perhaps through a couple of behaviors or disciplines they could in fact bring clarity to everyone, even on maybe one or two specific vital topics.
2: Yeah, so again, recognize all the energy wants to go back to just sort of maintaining the day job, almost a defensive position. In terms of that area of focus, if you can get that into a very clear, very defined target, even the and, and it doesn't have to represent everything that the team is doing As a matter of fact I was just doing this this morning um, I'm, I'm, I'm working with one of our one of our marketing groups and right the whole morning we spent talking about one very clear finish line like one achievable goal amidst an ocean of crazy uh, amidst an ocean of uncertainty is there what is there a starting line is there a finish line and is there a deadline and and, and here's the thing that we didn't know 20 years ago. If there's even one element in a person's life where they feel like I'm winning and it matters. Okay. That alone, even if, even if the rest it, it, you know, there's a lot of chaos. If there's just one element where a person feels like I'm winning and it matters, you'll see a spike in morale and engagement. So I guess if you put a wrapper around this whole thing, if there's a clear winnable game, and it it can be a very specific thing, it doesn't have to represent everything. There's a clear winnable game. And if we've minimized ambiguity by not dogpiling multiple new objectives on top of people, if we can keep those two things clear, I've got a winnable game and it's that winnable game plus the day job that I know, Human beings can handle that. And not only can they handle that, one of the other things that this work on ambiguity taught us um, is that people actually have to have a little, they have to have a little bit, but they have to have a they have to have something that does challenge them. Now there's a lot going on in the environment that, that does challenge us. But but if there's if there's one winnable game, in addition to what I know, we're not dogpiling, and I feel I can win at something. Um, that's very healthy, very encouraging, um, and, and I think gives you the best opportunity to maintain focus and continue to execute in tough times, which is a really hard thing for organizations to do.
0: Well, Chris, it's a great reminder because that same principle can apply in our personal lives. We hear about yep. you know frequent hand washing. Well, perhaps, you know, with your kids like ours we had this new policy where we're all washing our hands at the top of every hour, right? So the time we're up, the time we sleep, everybody, when the bell goes off, we're just going in and washing our hands because it's a winnable game for us and it's something we can control that might even have a disproportionate impact on our three boys' propensity to have dirty hands, but kind of turn it into a winnable game for them as well. Chris McChesney, lead author of The Four Disciplines, thank you for your time today, appreciate your insights. Thanks, Scott. And now we're going to discuss in our third interview, this idea of increasing our productivity in turbulent times with Franklin Covey's thought leader, Corey Cogan, the author of numerous books, including the wild bestseller, The Five Choices to Extraordinary Productivity. Corey, thank you for your time today.
3: Uh, thanks for having me, Scott.
0: So Corey, we know it's a turbulent time for everyone. We've uh, been delighted that you could spend some time with us today complimenting the conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey, Chris McChesney, and shortly, Todd Davis, our Chief People Officer. Corey, I want to use our precious time today to kind of draw from your vast global experience and all of your interviews, speeches, uh, authorship, and such. What are some of the key insights you might share that everyone is facing right now in this kind of whirlwind of activity? Everyone's trying to stay calm and identify what are the most important things they can do to help their family, themselves, their clients, their organization. What advice would you give to people as a a follower of Dr. Covey's and as one of our thought leaders around time management and personal productivity?
3: Scott, thanks for asking. And you know, we always talk about the workforce of today, both uh, the uh, individual contributors and the leaders as knowledge workers, they pay to think, to innovate, to create and execute. And so our real skill sets around decision are around decision attention and energy management. And I wanna dig into the attention part, attention management. Everybody is wildly distracted right now, right? We always say, oh, people are so distracted, but now the distraction has totally changed. it's don't want to fear. Understandably, we uh, our survival mechanisms have kicked in where we don't know if it's com- it's the un- uncertainty. We don't know what's coming our way and, and all of that. And, and it's just stopped everything. Um, and some key principles really kick in here because before we can get back to what am I supposed to be doing? We have to get that under control. And so one of uh, Dr. Covey's key principles is this, this thinking, this concept around there's a space between stimulus a response. And um, and we have we got to pause and really just get get intentional, get our heads around it. And we need a process for that. And we call that circle of influence and circle of concern. And uh, you know th- this is not trite. This is really important because it can calm you to say, listen, there's a lot of stuff out there I, I don't have control of and that's a distraction, right? It's creating this fear. And I have to think about what are the things that I can focus on that I can do something about. So I think that's the first piece, Scott, where just in the realm of these three key skill areas that make up our productivity, how do we get our arms around this terribly distracting time and just start to settle down a little bit, so then we can move on to thinking about, well, what matters most?
0: So Corey, let's take that concept and get very practical because as Dr. Covey said, you know, uh, to know it but not to do it is not to know it. Give us an example in your own professional or personal life of something that's in your circle of concern versus your circle of influence, something you know about and you're concerned about, but you're deliberately choosing to kind of set that aside, not ignore it or neglect it, but recognize that it might be consuming your precious time and attention and energy and instead something that you're focused on in your own circle of influence. Well, uh, it it
3: could be as... This is not simple, but right now, the ob- obvious, I guess, is a better word to say, I am going to lock myself in a room and not talk to anybody or do anything because I'm afraid of getting sick. You know what? Uh, that's, it's, right now, part, that, that attitude is outside of my control. What I can do are the things that everybody is telling us to do. Washing my hands, I, you know, taking care of myself, keeping my energy up decision attention, energy management, doing the right things uh, to stay healthy. And as a leader, really thinking about what are the few key things that I need to do in order to responsibly take care of my team who is also struggling with these kinds of things. So that's as concrete as I can get because mm. I'm like everybody else. I'm a, I'm a little afraid and I, and, and I am doing the things that I can do to continue moving life forward be accomplished, and
0: stay healthy. It kind of reminds me of the adage, you know, think globally, but act locally, right? I mean, you are, like everyone, paying attention to all of the information coming out, changing by the hour right now. And so it's helpful to be aware of what's going on, but be focused on what we can control in our own lives. Corey, I also have heard you talk about this idea of debunking the notion of everyone's being asked to do more with less. You have a bit of a different point of view on that. Expand on that.
3: Yeah, it's a different point of view today because that's always something we're grappling with, that we're asked to do more with less, and how do you do that? And and, and really, again, always empathic to people feeling like, oh gosh, I do need to do more with less because, you know, people aren't here in the op- whatever it might be. Having said that, it's really important now that it's not do more with less, it's how do I do what's, and, and, and figure out what are the few most important things that I need to do with less? Because again, our minds are everywhere right now. That's why we gotta, we gotta get our attention under control. And particularly if you're a leader, helping your employees do this, particularly now if they're remote, is how do we take do more with less and spend a little time figuring out of all of it, what are the few most important things we need to do? And I'll give you a couple of examples of areas that we know organizations need to focus on. What are the few most important things that we need to do in order to ensure or help our customers? And and, and, and drive customer loyalty? What are the few most important things that we need to do with our employees' employee engagement uh, to keep their spirits high? So, and for the employees themselves, of all the things that I need to do, being proactive and going to your leader and saying, we've got all of this, let's decide what are the few most important things that we can get done with excellence and quality uh, to keep things moving forward and to help myself feel accomplished. Because that might be all we have right now while we're trying to keep the sphere, you know, at, at arm's length uh, in, in this very real time that we're in. So do more with less, it's not so much do more, it's all doing the things that matter most. And leadership, this is really an opportunity for you with your teams.
0: Corey, I hear you saying it might actually be that we should be doing less with less, right? Is that we should be doing less but higher leveraged activities, make sure that our leaders are clear on and equipped with what they need to execute on the highest value, highest return decisions by managing our time and managing our energy as well.
3: Uh, And uh, yes, do less with less. And um, this is not to be meant as a conceptual Oh, wouldn't that be nice if we can do less with less? Right now, every organization should be, as we are, deep in conversations about those things that will assist our clients in areas of expertise and drive employee engagement uh, with the people that we have. There's there's, There's a few things that we have to do today that we did not have to do a month ago so this is not a conceptual do like oh yes you want to do less this is real clarity and prioritization on the few things we've got to execute on very well in this narrow time of turbulence in order to drive the right outcomes and the right behaviors around productivity right so that we are prepared when times are starting to look good again but if we stop any of this now and try to do more with less and just sort of keep the machine running, we will not be prepared for the good times that are bound to come.
0: Corey, stay well, stay safe. Thank you for joining us today.
3: Thanks for having me and good luck to everybody out there.
0: Hi, welcome back to the fourth part of this series where we started and had a conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey, author of The Speed of Trust, where Stephen talked about, you know, knowing the four cores of credibility and really talking about transparency talking straight and the fact that you can over-communicate if you're not being very clear on what it is you're asking your team members to do. Followed by the conversation with Chris McChesney, our execution expert who talked about not over-goaling your people, right? Really making sure that you understand that the whirlwind is already consuming everyone and that you probably should be very deliberate around what additional activities that are highly important you ask your people to focus on then followed by the great conversation with Corey Cogan on just making sure that we're not asking people to in fact do more with less. But ideally, do less with less. And the less might be more leveraged if we're very focused on what actions, what decisions we can make that can bring a disproportionate amount of value to your culture, to your team, and to your clients. And I'm delighted to finish this series today with our chief people officer and two-time Wall Street Journal best-selling author Todd Davis, who's joining us live here in the studio. Todd, nice to see you. Good to see you, Scott. No fist bumps, no shake, but we'll do it elbow, <laughs> right? So great. Thanks for coming in today. You bet. What I what I wanted to do is kind of recap briefly what I said in the opening, which is. Our three guests prior to you that are all thought leaders here talked about just the power of focus, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all telling everybody to calm down. <laughs> in fact, most of us ourselves aren't very <laughs> calm. You are, as I mentioned, the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of two of Franklin Covey's books, one on the power of relationships and one actually with me and Victoria Olson on great management and leadership uh, in your day job. You also are our chief people officer, which means you're responsible for all of our policies and systems around people taking care of our most valuable asset, which is our people, and our relationships. What, right. a, what general advice would you give to anybody else in an organization on the things that you'd say, we've talked about doing this, but we're resisting that, and we are doing this? Any kind of general advice you'd give to anybody that's listening and watching today?
4: Wash your hands.
0: Yes. <laughs> but our, our family's making it a game. Chris said, you want to make all things a winnable game? So our boys, my wife, and I are washing our hands every hour on the hour to kind of both make our hands raw, but also to make
4: it fun and a winnable game. Yeah. I, of course, I'm joking because everybody knows to do that. Although I will tell you this. I was, in, I was in an airport the other day, and one positive thing that's come from this. I used to be appalled when yes. I would be in the restroom washing my hands and watch a number of men walk out. Having used the facilities without washing their hands. Yes. I don't see anybody doing that yes. anymore. Everybody washes <laughs> their hands. So that's that's. Singing happy thing. birthday that's twice to right. yourself. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you what comes to mind. And again, there is so much helpful information out there going around. And without just trying to add to the noise, the, the thought that has been on my mind for the last several weeks now, and, and, and certainly the last several days, as change is happening so rapidly, is the phrase "what the leader values gets valued." Mm. I, I think often. whether we're in a formal leadership role or not, I think many of us tend to think, well, gosh, what difference? If I don't rush to the store and buy their toilet paper, if I don't rush and do this, that's not gonna make a difference because everybody else is doing the same thing. No, it actually does make a difference. And the challenge is too many of us think that just one action that I take isn't going to help. It actually is. And especially if you're in a leadership role, what people see you model they're going to model. Yeah. And and if the leaders are... In your
0: personal life and perhaps your professional
4: absolutely, life. Absolutely, yeah. both in your personal life and your professional life. And if, if the leaders, uh, formal and informal, are are panicking, and again, not, not being blind, don't go to the other end of the spectrum, but if they're panicking or being overly anxious or, or taking overly dramatic steps well then that's the kind of culture you're going to have i yeah. mean it's true during times of challenge like this it's true in in good times yeah. as well whatever the yeah. leader is doing and yeah. valuing and modeling is, is what's a universal the principle
0: that's right right now we're a public company and we're both officers in the firm so we are not privy to share everything going on in our firm like right. anyone what could you share as the chief people officer of things that we're doing at franklin covey that you think are are wise and even replicable i've yeah. had two calls this morning from friends of mine who are in companies asking me, so what are you all doing about this, and how are you handling that? Right. Anything you might share that would be helpful to say, here's
4: how we're making our decisions, and here's how we're choosing to empower and treat our own employees. Absolutely. Uh, I just spent two days with our top leadership in the company, and this, is what, this was one of the topics. And it, it is, it is uh, first—well, everybody has different cultures— but we certainly believe and know that your culture is your ultimate competitive advantage. And yeah. so if you have anything to do with the culture, and that would be everybody in the company, you know, you, you, you play a part in this. Um, your culture, if, if first and foremost in your culture isn't about the people, and in this case, their safety and their security and their, their calmness, then you better, you better rethink your priorities and your culture. So what we've been talking about as a leadership team is making sure that every employee of Franklin Covey knows their safety is the, our number one concern. The safety of, of theirs, their, their family, their loved ones, is our number one concern. Employees before customers. Employees before employees customers. Employees before vendors. Right, right, employees Absolutely. first. Absolutely. Right. And then you just hit the second right to that is our clients. We are a client-facing organization. Right. We're out with clients, or we were, out with right. clients every day and we'll be again shortly. We're letting all of our clients know No one, if we're still doing on-site visits with them or on-site presentations, we're letting them know that everyone coming out to their client sites have been carefully vetted. We're not putting anybody in a compromising situation. We are informing our clients of that. We're making sure our consultants and people that go out to client sites, no one is going to be asked or or certainly forced to go into a situation they're uncomfortable with. Somebody, maybe not even for a good reason, is uncomfortable following through on a commitment that we have made to a client. And so we're saying, great, we're going to find a replacement for you. We're not yeah. going to put anybody right. in that kind of a situation. And it gets messy, but, but I have found, not just in this, in this uh, challenging time, but throughout my career, if you make sure people know you're mindful of them, you're putting them first. You know, Empathy is playing such a key role right now. You, you did something right before we started taping. You, I have a 90-year-old mother and you said, hey, how's your mom? Mm-hmm. And I think, as I was talking to our leaders this morning, remember that everybody's at a different place. Mm-hmm. We may be talking to a group of leaders with all the same title, But you can't address them all like they're going to receive the information the same way because this person has a 90-year-old mom, this person has young children at home, this person is going through a divorce or whatever. And so you got to really take the time. Slow down, as Dr. Covey used to say, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. Slow down. Make sure you're thoughtful about your communication with each individual. One of the things I think we're doing
0: well when I say We, I mean you know you and the executive team is there's no vacuum of information at Franklin Covey. I- I've right. seen an email come out about every day for the last week or so. And we're sort of calibrating it almost day by day right now because it's changing so rapidly. Hourly. And in yeah. fact, and, and our emails, they're, they're clear, but they're not somber. Like this morning, you sent an email out about our kind of emerging work from home policy, mm-hmm. flex policy. And you, and you made light of an issue in the company that we had a <laughs> flood recently in the building. And a lot of people had to work from home for the last couple of months. And you kind of, without making light of the situation, you brought some calm to the topic by being real. Right? And being transparent and and being vulnerable. I think it's a great leadership principle that every leader can take to heart is, you know, share what you know. Don't share what you don't. Right? Don't guess. Speak with one voice. And and absent facts,
4: people make stuff up. So consistently communicate the most you know when you know it. I think it's so important. Uh, In the book that you and I co-authored together with Victoria, we talk about one of the six critical practices being lead your team through change lead your team through change, and you just hit on some great points in that. It's not You don't need to nor would you ever have all the answers, but you need to keep continually communicating with the information you do have. What do you anticipate will be coming next? What do you think is around the corner? You're a leader for a reason, and again, it's not to have all the answers, but it is to, as the word suggests, lead. To be as on top of things as you can be and keep that communication going daily and hourly if needed.
0: Uh, You're not, by degree, a psychiatrist or psychologist. Well,
4: now, wait just a minute.
0: (laughs) But you are, by reps, thousands and thousands of reps, a great coach and mentor. For the leaders and listeners who maybe aren't formal leaders of people, and there may be an information vacuum. They may be thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be asked to take a 30% pay cut? And how am I going to afford... What advice would you give people who might be building a narrative in their head because there is a vacuum of information or perhaps they do work for a small company that they can see the writing on the wall? Any just sage advice you would give from number of years in the saddle because you're so old. I'm kidding. (laughs) I didn't hear you. any, Any advice you'd give people that may not be in the know like perhaps you and I are on the executive team? to be able to control what they can
4: and, and yeah. let go of what they can't? It's a great question. You know, and, and as you mentioned, every company is different, every culture is different, so maybe some companies are in a position where they're thinking, no, if this goes on for, you know, heaven forbid, several months, even a year, we're not going to have layoffs. Other companies might not be in that position, and yes, we're going to have layoffs. Right. In the seven habits of highly effective people, habit one is to be proactive. Right. And one of, the, one of the skill sets we learn there, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to teach that uh, often, is the difference between proactivity and reactivity. And we actually use a scenario in there where we say, gosh, the company's in a downturn having layoffs. We don't talk about the coronavirus, but, but we, uh, we talk about the situation. And what is a proactive versus a reactive behavior? And a proactive behavior might be dusting off my resume, yeah. maybe not buying the new car or right. the additional thing that I didn't need, you know, that I was thinking about doing. Might be gearing up for to weather the storm for a few months. A reactive behavior might be spending all day long gossiping and talking about things that aren't true or that we don't know are true just wasting my time on it, yeah. complaining whining all of those things so so i would my advice would be to these people no, be, be realistic about things certainly continue to do your best work keep the company going we're finding different ways to work with our clients during this challenging time figure out ways in your best effort to keep your part of the company going and don't be blind and, and be thinking about, gosh, maybe I could store up a little bit. Maybe I could save a little bit here. Maybe I, maybe we don't go to the movie or go out to dinner this weekend. Just, just if we have to prepare for a few months of, of less than, than the income we've been prepared for, that yeah. we've been having.
0: It, it's really, uh, in some ways, an opportune time to demonstrate your own emotional maturity, Barely your own so. intellectual nimbleness, and really, really kind of self-assess, how do you deal with change as a leader? And recognize not everybody else may deal with it the same way. We talk about in the book, you mentioned, how change is an emotional process. And because you might have a large nest egg or you might have, you know, a large cabinet of food, it doesn't mean everybody else is in the same situation. So you might need to be a little bit more individually attentive Mm -hmm. to some of the members of your
4: team on what fears they're going through. Now, Scott, you're exactly right. And going back to this theme of empathy, a phrase that I've used for years just in my own mind and and coached others is, Meet people where they're at. If I'm sitting down with someone to have a performance discussion, or if I'm sitting down to talk with a department about how we're gonna have to change things because our business is dropping for the next six months, both scenarios, meet people where they're at. Stop and consider, just as you said, what situation there, and don't assume, and I don't think anyone that I know assumes on purpose, but I think we go on autopilot, and we think, oh, wait a minute. So-and-so's not in the right. same position That's as right. this other person, things like That's
0: that. That's right. Todd Davis, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Appreciate it. Stay That's back. Right. Stay safe. Stay yeah. well. And we hope this four-part conversation probably reminded you of most of the things you already knew, right? These are principles. Franklin Covey did not invent them. We named them and we numbered them <laughs> and packaged them in the all Access Pass. But most importantly, we hope you found this to be valuable and remind you, stay safe, Stay stay calm, and as a leader model what it is you want to see in your team, and the odds are everyone will rise to the occasion. Thanks for your time. We appreciate you.